listening to the Paul McGuire Report, where truth, final reality, and true truth is held up as the ultimate deciding factor in every portion and segment of life, because we live in a universe and a world where there are such things as absolutes, such as absolute right, absolute wrong. There, there are laws to the universe. There are laws to uh, humanity. Once upon a time in America, when I was a kid, and many of you were kids, there are now several generations that have no memory of what you and I grew up with and in in America. They have absolutely no memory because their minds have been deliberately erased through social engineering, which wiped any thought or concept or reference to history, even recent history. They just wiped it clean. Now, what am I talking about? Let's get very specific. The specific nature of the battle that we're in. That's, this is the first hurdle. We talked about it yesterday. This is the first hurdle. And yet there are, let's just say, arbitrarily 50% or more of the American people that simply cannot look at reality and decode reality. In other words, they have no intellectual cognitive ability to simply take reality, process it, and look at, for, for, look at reality for what it really is. You know, the sky is blue or whatever, something, something simple like that. They can't process that. They've been dumbed down, socially engineered, programmed, whatever, whatever uh, word you, you want to use. And now the crisis, the chaos that I've been warning about for my entire life, and many others have too, uh, we're in it. We're in it. And we are on the fast track towards a particular destination should the Lord Jesus Christ tarry. We are on the fast track to a destination that is not pleasant at all, and I'm understating it. The destination that has been planned for us is not a good destination. You can fill in the blanks. And we're going there far faster than most people realize. Because most people, not you, not you, you are awake, or you wouldn't be listening to me. Your eyes are open, and you can see, or you wouldn't be listening to me. The, the significant numbers of Americans that, that only can go to uh, the Internet or social media or social media platforms or TV or films or whatever the heck they're watching or listening to or whatever, they, have, they only can escape. They can only enter virtual worlds, fantasy worlds, artificial realities, multiverses, whatever you want to call it. And yet, when we look at reality for what it really is, not what we want it to be, not our imagination, like John Lennon, the Beatle, the poor guy. I liked him because I was stupid. Okay, that was, that was, that was in my hippie counterculture radical days. I know about John Lennon. Yeah, John Lennon was addicted to, uh, or a regular user of heroin. Claimed not to be religious, but he was a follower of Edgar Cayce. And that's a form of religion. It's, it's uh, kind of an occultic religion. Edgar Cayce, the sleeping prophet. I was into Edgar Cayce, the sleeping prophet, when I was a young kid. So I, I know what Lennon was into. And he sang that song that is that, who, who do you think makes the choice? Behind the scenes. Who do you think behind the scenes 
the puppet masters. That's what I'm talking about, the puppet masters. And you know who the puppets are because you can watch the strings flow from the puppet masters and control the puppets. And puppets are everywhere. So who do you think it is that decides every New Year's Eve from Times Square? I've been there physically on, at Times Square. It's a terrible, it's an absolutely awful place to go because you're standing there in the freezing cold, packed with countless people. God forbid you should need to use the bathroom. Um, and then the climax is that the ball starts to come down and the crowd sings. And, and the echoes of the lyrics of Lennon's song, imagine, echo throughout the corridors of Manhattan, throughout the corridors of time and space, throughout the corridors and the hallways of power in the school systems, in homes, <clears throat> in institutions of every kind. Lennon's words, the lyrics to his song, imagine, reverberate and echo in the subconscious realm, in the spiritual realm of men and women as they sing along, oblivious to what they're really singing. You know, like stuff like, I'm going to paraphrase for obvious reasons, imagine there's no heaven. That is what that is. You sing that in a group setting, in a hive mind setting, you sing that song mindlessly. I'm not talking about you, the listener of the Paul McGuire Report. You have overcome that. Years ago, I'm talking about the people that you and I know, the walking dead, zombie land. Zombie land is real. Just look around. So you sing this song, and the song, imagine there's no heaven. The song is a social engineering, psychological programming technique. Because I would bet anything. Now, I can't prove what I'm going to say. So, so there's a disclaimer here. This is my opinion. It's a theoretical opinion. But the level of sophistication in the lyrics, and, and the lyrics cover basically the, the, the major and primary points of the ongoing Marxist, globalist, communist, um, Marxist revolution that's happening in America and around the world. And it's an assault on, imagine there's no heaven. Imagine there's no God. You know, no money, no private property. No, no independent sovereign nation states. And yet, in, in total hypocrisy, at the time that that song was released, John Lennon and his wife, Yoko Ono, were worth I forgot how much it was. Countless millions of dollars. Countless, just countless millions of dollars in the money of, of back then. Today, it, it would be, it would have been countless hundreds of millions of dollars, perhaps even into the billions or a billion dollars. So he was filthy rich, enjoying America until some Manchurian candidate psychopath took him down. But anyway, people are singing this and what they're doing, the process of singing with other people. It becomes a self—listen very carefully to what I'm trying to explain. Singing the song, Imagine, becomes and is and was intended to be a process of self-hypnosis, where the person singing the song, unaware of the dynamics of hypnosis and mind control, which I explain in my books like Conquering the Matrix, they sing along, and what they're doing is, when they sing along, they're self-hypnotizing themselves. 
They're putting themselves into a subtle altered state of consciousness. They are reprogramming themselves and they are erasing the, the America conceived by the pilgrims and Puritans and Christians in the Bible. They are erasing that for a secular humanist, transhumanist, Marxist, communist, totalitarian, authoritarian, global dictatorship. That's what it's about. So you get mass acceptance as they chant in unison. And everybody, you know, bubbles up with these romantic feelings, these good vibes, because it's designed to be that way. But the mere process of repetition, 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 because repetition is a, an essential component in scientific mind control. And then, of course, lots of people are high. They're, they're you know, drinking booze. And they're taking drugs and stuff. And so you have millions of people singing this song. And essentially, that song, listen to me, that song is a worship song to Lucifer, the god of this world, and his counterfeit kingdom, which is not the kingdom of heaven. It's a worship song to Lucifer because it's praising and worshiping the new world order. It's singing about a one world government, a one world religion, and a one world economic system. And it's a form of programming to break down any resistance, any objection to this new, this Luciferian new world order. And, you, yeah, you know, so like, like New Year's comes around and occasionally, nah, yeah, sometimes we try to catch it. I don't know why we try to catch it, because I, I feel like barfing as I watch these uh, ceremonies. But I cannot stand the watching the ball drop and listening to, to lyrics, which I believe, and I don't believe that most of the people singing the lyrics have any idea, really, uh, what they're really doing. I think they're oblivious and clueless, but they're singing an anthem to the Antichrist and the new world order of Antichrist. That's what it is. And that's why I highly suspect there is a whole paper trail regarding uh, the Beatles and many of the lyrics in the Beatles song. And the paper trail is documentation I touch on it in my book, Power from One Eye, documentation of who really wrote the lyrics to these complex songs like Imagine. And it turns out they were the Marxist Marxist Frankfurt School professors who were the guys that engineered the, the revolution that is going on in America, which is a communist Marxist revolution rebranded as some kind of liberal awakening. And the, the Marxist uh, professor wrote the lyrics, they say, and, and many of the songs of the Beatles. His name was on the, the copyright and ownership of the Beatles songs. And I haven't followed that, you know, in, in, in enormous detail, but I'm aware of the fact that this Frankfurt, Frankfurt School Marxist professor um, who allegedly wrote the lyrics to many of the Beatles songs, his name, this Marxist professor's name, ends up on the, the, the copyright of the songs. And later on, Michael Jackson uh, bought the rights, and uh, I don't know who, who really owns it now. But the whole Beatles thing, and this I talk about in depth in my book, Power from on High, The Greatest Battle, Conquering the Matrix, Prophecy of the Future of America, and my other books. 
34% discount we pay for the shipping right now. So you, should, you ought to jump on it at ballmacquire.us. So anyway, um, that whole thing, the Beatles are coming, the Beatles are coming. You see, people can't get over the hurdle because they aren't willing to study, acquire knowledge, search through documentation, connect the dots, open their eyes, use their perception and their cognitive abilities. They just flip the off switch on their brains. So this is how it plays out. The entire counterculture revolution of sex, drugs, and rock and roll, the way it happened in terms of strategy and timing, before the counterculture explosion, the radical politics, the riots in the streets, the sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and LSD, and communes, and hippies, and all that stuff, which I was smack dab in the middle of among the leaders of the counterculture. And I tell my story in Power from on High. Now, that, that happened in the late 60s and early to mid-70s. But it could not have happened unless the hard ground of the American consciousness was broken up. In other words, the soil of men's minds had to be tilled. Or you couldn't have planted the seeds for the counterculture revolution. What was there at one time, probably, I don't know, going back to the 40s, what was there at one time was that America still retained the strong memory of a Judeo-Christian capitalist nation with the family as the foundational unit. That was still in the DNA of the American people. It was still in the consciousness of the American people. So as long as that was there, just the memory of the influence of the Pilgrims and Puritans, and I was referring back earlier or, or alluding to the fact that schools across America, there wasn't this uh, Nazi-esque separation of church and state. The Ten Commandments were, were openly posted in a prominent place in, in just about every school across America no matter what religion you were. Now, I was an atheist. I was a humanist, okay, a secular humanist. I was an existentialist. That was, my, that was my family's religion. But my family wasn't upset about the Ten Commandments, and nor was I. I, I probably wouldn't have known the Ten Commandments if I had not walk it, walked by the, the big display in the schools where they had the Ten Commandments prominently posted. And I would look at it occasionally and contemplate it as I'm sure many other kids did. So that what that does is that that beams the light into your soul that stays with you, whether you, you know, convert to Christianity or whatever. The point is you 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 absorb that. So in a sense you could call all of those factors a Judeo-Christian immune system that is properly functioning. The faith of the founding fathers because it was the faith of the Founding Fathers based on a Judeo-Christian biblical worldview. It was that intellectual platform and that spiritual uh, set of ideas based on the Bible. And the Pilgrims and Puritans really uh, saw themselves as, as kind of like the children of Israel and America being like a new Israel. And the Pilgrims and Puritans uh, diligently tried to replicate the covenants that God made with the children of Israel. 
and that is example that it's that's throughout the Old Testament, but it it's especially and simply illustrated in um, Deuteronomy twenty eight, the blessings and the curses, which talks about essentially military, financial, economic, agricultural, weather, very practical, earthbound type of blessings or curses that would come upon a nation like America or Israel, because they're the only nations that ever attempted to adhere to these uh, laws of God. And the deal was, if you didn't worship idols, and you worshiped only the true God, the biblical God, and if you hearkened diligently to his word, to the voice of the Lord, to do it, the whole list of blessings would be poured out. And that became the American dream. And conversely, if you rejected that covenant in Deuteronomy 28, the curses of God would come upon America, which we've seen, the curses of God. And uh, whether that's directly or indirectly, that's that's up to God. I don't know. That's beyond what you and I, I think, can conceive. Okay, so uh, we are now, and have been for quite some time, in a post-Christian uh, culture. and. We are even beyond the memory of right and wrong and stuff. And the thing that I have tried to expose, that it, all of this massive evil transformation, the deconstruction of America by Marxist infiltrators financed by the globalist elite and the Luciferian elite, none of that was an accident, including the counterculture. The Beatles were the first wave in a psyops or psychological operations war. Because what they did is they broke the ice. The Beatles broke the ice because they were, you know, cute, harmless looking, handsome guys with, by today's standards, their little mop top haircuts were were cute, but like, but but non-threatening. And they wore suits and ties when they performed. And at that time, their lyrics were really, uh, by today's standards, their, their lyrics in their songs were very modest. Okay? So, so parents were upset. Even back then, parents were upset. They thought it was a bad influence. But, but it, they couldn't be completely upset because the Beatles were deliberately packaged to come off like uh, lambs, little armless lambs. And, um, then they had a massive marketing machine behind them. So, so when they performed at the big baseball stadium uh, in Queens, New York, I think it was Met Stadium. When they performed at Met Stadium, and you saw, I remember you saw the news footage of all the teenage and pre-teenage girls screaming hysterically when they see the Beatles and the Beatles are singing. And then the girls begin to pass out and faint in hysteria, and the TV cameras captured that. That was all artificially contrived. That that didn't happen spontaneously. That was a PR stunt. It was part of the PSYOPs war. So what happened was the Beatles hit the beaches with a counterculture disguised as a cute little harmless, you know, semi-harmless thing for kids. That broke up the hard ground. That tilled the soil in the hearts and minds of Americans and American youth, and the Beatles, right before my eyes, 
and the eyes of millions of children, and probably right before many of your eyes, they began to transform or go through a metamorphosis very slowly, month after month, all of a sudden their hair grew longer and longer and longer. All of a sudden the Beatles were singing about and involved in, in, in open sex. They weren't the good guys anymore. They started to look more like bad guys. They were openly talking about and singing about their LSD drug experiences and smoking marijuana. They were openly singing about stuff like, uh, why don't we do it in the road? And you know what that means. And so the Beatles were now had, they had shoulder length hair. They were taking drugs. And most dangerous of all, they were following the, the guru, the Eastern mystical occultic guru, Maharishi Mahash Yoga. And uh, they even went to India, to his ashram, to, to meditate and chant. So, so what happened was the Beatles became the bait to bring an entire generation into the counterculture. And then there's this convergence of much harder rock and roll bands with much harder messages like Led Zeppelin and their links to the ideas of the Satanists, Aleister Crowley, and the hard drugs, the amphetamines, the heroin, the cocaine, the orgies, the Illuminati connections of the Rolling Stones and all these other rock bands. And the next thing you know, behind the scenes, the puppet masters are artificially creating through this hit the beach running psyops operation, psychological warfare operation. And all of a sudden now, up in the Hollywood Hills on Lookout Mountain, where I lived for a number of years, there's an explosion of the West Coast rock and roll and pop bands and the drugs, sex, and rock and roll from, from groups all in that little area in the Hollywood Hills where I lived. And you had the mamas and the papas, you know, California dreaming, and you had and you had uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash and & Young, and you had Frank Zappa, and Peter Fonda lived in the, in the hills, and on and on. Charles Manson was, uh, you, you, you take Lookout Mountain all the way to the other side, and it runs into the Beach Boys uh, mansion where Charles Manson and his family hung out, and many, many other big rock and roll groups, Red Hot Chili Peppers, you know, on and on and on. But it was all synthetic. It was all socially engineered. There was, it, there was all a strategy. The mass distribution of LSD was not accidental. It was a strategic mind control operation that flowed out of MK Ultra. I expose it. I write about it in my books. You need to read. You need to be informed. It's in um, A Prophecy of the Future of America, Volume 1 and 2. And then I lived right, right there. <laughs> you know, a stone's throw from Timothy Leary, the LSD professor's, where he lived for a while, where he literally died. And then um, where L. Ron Hubbard, uh, and the, this, when L. Ron Hubbard was mainly known for his sci-fi novels, this was a couple of blocks from my house. And then there was Robert Heinlein. They were good friends who wrote Stranger in a Strange Land. And there was a group of famous Isaac Asimov and others. There was a group of famous science fiction writers and scientists who met 
just a few blocks from my house. I mean, we were there at different time zones. And uh, they were part of a military intelligence operation where they were given the, the mission of thinking outside of the box and developing new weaponry, futuristic sci-fi type weapons in order for us to to maintain full spectrum dominance. So then there are the allegations that the whole counterculture, the LSD, the psychedelic drugs, the music, the lyrics, they were all methodically planned and strategically planned to con- now listen to this because this is so important. If you understand this, you'll understand everything. Th- this was all done with the intended strategy by the Illuminati. It was done with the intended strategy of flipping America from a once Christian nation, a once capitalist sovereign nation, into a new world order, globalist, humanist, occultic nation. That it was a transformation, it was a series of transformational events that were co- coordinated and the product of social engineering. If you don't know that, you don't know diddly squat. You say, oh, I'm an apologist. You're an apologist for nothing. If you don't know that, and if you don't know the history of what changed our nation, you know nothing. And I'm not saying that out of anger. I'm saying it like, look, wake up, smell the coffee, and come alive. Because right now, you're in zombie land. And you're not doing anybody any good at all. You're, you're a make-believe Christian. And make-believe Christians are powerless, dumbed down, stupid and very dangerous because they'll bring us all down. And that's not said with anger. It's said with the inner conviction born out of paying the price and doing your homework and studying and reading and documentation and being there and seeing it, eyes wide open. My eyes were wide open. Even before I accepted Christ, by the grace of the Lord, my eyes were wide open. I remember at the University of Missouri, where there there was posters put up all over the University of Missouri. This was relatively soon after the, the tragedy in uh, the university, I think it was the University of Ohio, and Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young uh, sung that song where the lyrics went something like, Four Dead in Ohio, How Many More? And it was a song talking about, I think it was the National Guard that allegedly shot the students. And so it was a anti-Vietnam War protest song. So it was shortly after that, there was this demonstration that was going to happen at the University of Missouri, another big Midwestern university. And so I go to the planning meeting, and the guy who's coordinating the planning meeting is, he, his body language, the way he dressed, his haircut, his shoes, his musculature, the way he carried himself, everything, I'd say he was in his mid-30s. He was definitely not a radical. He was definitely not smoking weed and stuff. He was definitely not a, a hippie or a counterculture person, nor was he a, a you know, militant communist Marxist. Because people who are militant communist Marxists, they, they have a tell. They have a signature. They walk, talk, dress in a particular way. And it's noticeably different than the guy who was coordinating the... Now, this is before I knew Jesus Christ, okay? 
I was still a radical in the counterculture. And so this guy was an organizer of the demonstration. But I couldn't help notice the oddities in his dress, in his behavior, and in his mannerisms. Because what he projected, simply if you had your eyes wide open and mine were wide open, what he projected was a military background or a high-level law enforcement background. So you you do the math. I'm not going to do it for you. You do the math as to who he probably was and who was behind him. You do the math. And so University of Missouri had a demonstration, and the TV cameras were there. But the demonstration was not spontaneous or organized by students on campus or off campus that that were you know protesting. There appeared to be a far bigger and larger, more powerful, more trained, and highly financed, invisible organizational structure. So the counterculture, many of the demonstrations, many of the radical groups, many of the cults were all made in a social engineering laboratory. They were all artificial. They were all synthetic. They were all invented for the intended purpose of creating massive, transformational, sociological change in America and set up the people, the mindset of the people to, to quote, go with the flow into a global government or new world order. So that's how we got here. And then if you continue to study, eyes wide open, continue to study, you you notice that the same agenda that the Huxleys promoted, Alice Huxley, Brave New World, Julian Huxley, UN, UNESCO, World Health Organization, father of transhumanism, they outwardly pretend to be atheists. Humanists, but inwardly and secretly, they they belong to powerful occultic Luciferian secret societies that are are networking and highly financed. So this brings us when you understand how we got to where we are and how the change started in the late forties. I mean, you take nineteen forty seven for example. But let's come back in just a minute, and we'll pick up on just just the things that occurred in 1947-1948. Things like the UFO crash in Roswell, New Mexico, 1947. The rebirth of Israel as a nation after over 2,000 years of dispersion, 1948. The, The testing of the atomic bomb. 1947, Um, and it goes on and on and on, the creation of the United Nations. I believe, I don't have my book in front of me, I believe that was 1948. I need to double-check that one. All these massive changes and technological changes and geopolitical changes happened in 1947, 1948, and there's more. We'll be back in a moment. Visit I'm asking you to please join, sign up for the e-blast, join, follow the social media 
that you see the Paul McGuire or hear the Paul McGuire report on. That's something you can do that would really help us. We'll be back in a moment. Visit paulmcguire.us. You are listening to the Paul McGuire Report. This is Paul McGuire. So from a prophetic perspective, the years 1947 to 1948 are major global transformational years where where things of enormous significance happened. So let me just cover a few, okay? Because it's important to understand the significance and about how 1947 to 1948 were literally turning point years for mankind. And many of these turning point events fit into Bible prophecy in a unique way, if you analyze it that way. So I want to uh, um, lead you some of these major events that, that happened. So, for example, in 1947, the International Monetary Fund is established and begins financial operations. The International Monetary Fund, or the IMF, is one of these key super-globalist organizations like uh, the World Bank, like uh, the World Economic Forum, WEF, like the United Nations. And part of this global economic system, an essential part of it, is the institution known as the IMF or the International Monetary Fund. And this massive globalist institution is birthed in 1947. Now, that's not an accident. Then um, we have an entire series of other events that happened in 1947. Not just the Roswell, New Mexico uh, UFO incident where uh, allegedly a UFO crashed in Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. That was huge. That started this, this UFO craze. But even before that, in 1947, there began to be this this blitz of UFO sightings. So in 1947, a guy named Kenneth Arnold makes the first widely reported uh, Kenneth Arnold unidentified flying object sighting, which at that time was, I think, one of the first times it was called a UFO. And this guy, Arnold, saw a UFO, claims to have seen a UFO near Mount Rainier, Washington, in Washington State. Um, that was huge. And then in 1947, um, the reports uh, about a UFO crash that landed in Roswell, New Mexico, and became known as the Roswell UFO incident. Um, then we have the... Uh, in 1947, we have what is known as the SS Exodus, or Exodus 1947, which is an exodus of Jews from Europe, from Germany, to—excuse me—the actual place that the Jews boarded large ships 
to take them from Europe to Palestine. They, they, the exodus occurred from France. The ships departed from France in 1947. And a close friend of mine who, who is no longer here uh, and has gone on to be with the Lord was a guy named General Shimon Aram, one of Israel's most famous high-level generals, who was physically present at every one of these key conflicts and key prophetic and historical incidents involving the rebirth of the modern state of Israel. So he was there when the boats were leaving France to Palestine. And he was then in Palestine, along with uh, Israeli troops, to facilitate the Jews coming back to Palestine, which, of course, is Israel. Now, um, and he was at, there's battle after battle, and, and, and historical event after historical event. General Shimon Aram was there, and he talked to me about it at length, and I learned more about Bible prophecy and history, real history, and the behind-the-scenes history that most people don't get to learn. I got to learn. Um, being with this guy, and uh, it makes history alive when you meet a man who, who did things that that were so outrageous that even it would be hard to put in a Hollywood movie. Okay, so um, we now have uh, other critical events in 1947. The sound barrier was broken by. Captain Chuck Yeager of the U.S. Air Force, who was flying a Bell X-1 rocket-powered experimental aircraft, and uh, he flew it over the high desert of Southern California, and he breaks the speed of sound. That's, that was a pretty heavy thing in terms of technology and science. And then in 1947, there's another burst, an explosion of massive globalist activity with the birth of the General Agreement on Tariffs and Trade, GATT, G-A-T-T, which is the foundation of the World Trade Organization, WTO. Now, 1947, the Christians should have been all over this. They should have been all over the what was happening with the rebirth of Israel, and they should have been all over the, the literal birth of the major globalist institutions. Okay, because this is connecting the dots. When you understand this, you understand how we got to the Great Reset. The Great Reset is simply an extension of these other institutions. And these institutions are the globalist financed institutions which uh, empowered globalism and the globalist elite. So um, this is critical and something that should have been paid attention to. The United Nations in 1947, they make this historical and completely anti-biblical petition plan for Palestine called Partition Plan. And the United Nations General, General Assembly in 1947 approves a plan for the partition of the mandatory Palestine called Palestine. The problem is that the UN Mandatory Palestine Plan is in direct conflict with the everlasting covenant 
that the biblical God makes with Abraham and the physical descendants of Abraham, where he gives the physical descendants of Abraham the physical land of Israel forever as an everlasting covenant. And everlasting means exactly what it says. It means whether you like it or not, the Jews, specifically the physical descendants of Abraham, are given the physical land of Israel forever as an everlasting covenant. And therefore, Palestine, Palestine, you can't have Palestine and Israel operate, uh, occupying the same territory. It's not going to last. Okay, so that was a critical. Then, then 1947, there's all these riots and uh, civil war uh, in Palestine and uh, Jerusalem riots of 1947. Again, General Shimon Aram, my friend, was there. And he was kind enough to write on the cover of my book, Are You Ready? Um, he referred to me by name as Paul McGuire being a faithful watchman on the wall for Jerusalem. And his exact quote is actually uh, better worded than, than what I just said, but I was quite honored to, for him to write that. I mean, I was greatly honored. Okay, so now let's go into 1948, another critical year in human history. And again, we have uh, significant global transformational events happening on an unprecedented level. So we have the birth of NATO in 1948. Uh, the United Kingdom signs the Treaty of Brussels. Brussels is the, is the Vatican of the globalists. And what, what the United Kingdom signed, the Treaty of Brussels, becomes the precursor to the globalist North Atlantic Treaty, or NATO. And it's NATO that, that is involved right now, along with Europe and the U.S., Russia and the Ukraine situation. Um, so um, we see, again, that happens in 1948. Then in 1948, another power grab and birth of a supra-globalist organization, the U.N., the World Health Organization is established in 1948 by the United Nations. Then we have, uh, again in 1948, Arab-Israeli War. My friend General Shimon Aram was right there in the middle of it. And he told me that by all military standards, Israel should have been wiped out in this Arab-Israeli War because the Egyptian army was set to invade. The Egyptian Air Force was set to drop bomb, bombs and machine gun uh, from the skies and completely wipe out Israel. But only through what the general described to me as a miracle, Israel was, a, was able to win this critical, this critical war. And this war uh, ends up uh, causing Israel to be able to, to, to make its own declaration of independence. And so the declaration of independence for the modern state of Israel occurs on May 14, 1948. 
So, so the, the, one of the major prophecies in the entire Bible, it's throughout the Bible, it's mentioned by numerous prophets. One of the primary prophecies of the Bible is that in the last days, Israel will be returned to the land of Israel in the last days. And that happened in 1948. Because prior to 1948, the Jews and Israel were dispersed from Israel for over 2,000 years. And the thing about the Jewish religion, it's unlike other religions, in the Jewish religion, the temple in Jerusalem is the central building of worship. And the entire Jewish religion is connected to the temple in Israel. And so Israel is very important to, to those Jews that believe the Bible. Okay, so um, we see continuing conflicts, the beginning of birth pains, the beginning of the signs of the times in 1948, especially with Israel and surrounding Israel. And um, we, we have this birth of globalism. So simultaneously, if we're looking at the big picture, simultaneously to this massive birth of globalist super organizations, simultaneously we have the rebirth of modern Israel prophesied in the Bible and the return of the Jews to the land of Israel in the last days is one of God's prophetic super signs. So we have super signs revolving around the birth of the nation Israel, and we have prophetic super signs surrounding the birth of one massive globalist entity after another. So on June 9th of 1948, the foundation of the International Council on Archives under the auspices of the UNESCO is birthed. And it was just prior to that and during that time that UNESCO was birthed. UNESCO is the United Nations educational, global educational arm. They, UNESCO was headed up by Aldous Huxley's brother, Julian Huxley, who was a militant humanist, militant secular humanist, militant transhumanist and anti-Christ, anti-God. And the whole purpose of UNESCO was to establish a, a common core global educational curriculum or global educational indoctrination program to get every kid and every adult socially engineered on the same page. And it's birthed in 1948. So it, it, this, this momentum takes off and continues. And then uh, continual conflict in Israel with the surrounding nations. And then we have uh, 1948, the Olympic Games, and uh, the, the whole story of globalism being expressed through, through the Olympics. And um, that's basically, oh, the, the United Nations, funded by Rockefeller, creates the World Council of Churches. And the World Council of Churches is a globalist, counterfeit, uh, religious organization. The World Council of Churches is a humanist, anti-biblical, spiritual counterfeit 
composed of churches that reject the Bible, reject Jesus Christ as Lord, and funded by globalist Rockefeller money, 1948. Ramping up starting in 1948. So, again, in 1948, we have uh, United Nations General Assembly adopts their infamous Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Now, I've read the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, and when you compare and contrast the United Nations Universal Declaration of Human Rights, when you compare and contrast that with the Constitution and the Bill of Rights birthed in America, the two legal documents are completely opposite. One is a counterfeit and ends up in totalitarianism, radical humanism, globalism, and a one-world government, where everybody loses their rights. You read the Declaration of Human Rights, and it says that. It contradicts itself. I've quoted it in my books like The Greatest Battle for the Hearts and Minds of Mankind in the History of the World. People are sucker-punched into believing that this Universal Declaration of Human Rights is a wonderful, good thing. It's not. All you have to do is compare it to the gold standard, which is the American Constitution and the Bill of Rights. And all those freedoms that the Founding Fathers, who moved out of a biblical worldview, the Pilgrims and Puritans, inserted strong biblical ideas into the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. Now, people may not like that, but we would not have the freedoms that we have today. America would never have had an American dream. And, and the ideas that were so radical, even today, of freedom of speech and stuff like that in the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, that was only made possible because a biblical worldview was introduced to our founding fathers when they set up the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. And it's a completely opposite system to the UN De- Declaration of Human Rights, which takes away your freedoms and establishes a globalist dictatorship owned by the globalist elite. Okay, so those are just some of the key things, the bullet point things that happened in 1947-1948. In addition to that, you have um, spiritual movements. So, for example, in 1947 and 1948, you have, uh, and I'll, some people radically disagree with what I'm going to say, and that's their privilege. But you have Christian movements that are very significant that occur or start in 1947 and 1948, coinciding with the birth of Israel in 1948. So in 1947, you have the the healing revivals, the Pentecostal revivals. And in 1948, you have the healing revivals and the Pentecostal revivals and souls being saved. And millions of people are impacted for Jesus Christ and are saved due to these uh, revivals that, that, at this point, are coming from America. Now, at the same basic time period, 1947-1948, you have, let's just call it 
the more fundamentalist Baptist uh, segment of Christianity and out of the Baptist movement and out of the uh, fundamentalist movement um, in Christianity, you have the launching of evangelism both in the United States of America and evangelism across the world. And you have organizations like Campus Crusade for Christ rolling out, uh, reaching the world. You have uh, missionaries being sent out. You have a, a tremendous emphasis on Bible study and promoting Bible study. And so you have these like dual revivals with with different theological emphasis, but they're but they're impacting the world for Jesus Christ. And the critical years are 1947 to 1948. And that's not an accident, because those outpourings of the Spirit, now obviously Baptists and uh, fundamentalists probably wouldn't use the term outpouring of the Spirit. Maybe they would, I don't know. But, but this move of God, this move of Jesus Christ, and I'm basing that on the fact that souls were saved and the Word of God was preached. Um, these movements, these revivals, are birthed in 1947, 1948, which is the same time Israel is reborn as a nation after 2,000 years, a prophetic super sign. So I believe that it is not accidental at all that you have this, this powerful move of God coming out of the Pentecostal movement, coming out of the Baptist fundamentalist movements, simultaneously with the rebirth of Israel, God's prophetic super sign, in 1948. It is not an accident. It is not a coincidence. It's God revealing himself to, to important historical prophetic timing. You're listening to the Paul McGuire Report. Be sure to take advantage. 34% off book discounts right now. And you need to grab them while they're discounted at that level. Visit paulmcguire.us. We'll be back in just a moment. Wake up and smell the coffee. You're listening to the Paul McGuire Report. 1947-1948, critical years, transformational years, and the birth of globalist institutions. Perhaps the mothership of the globalist institutions is the United Nations. But what is the United Nations? First of all, the United Nations is, was highly financed by Rockefeller. Second of all, underneath the United Nations, the United Nations has a secret foundation of belief, ideology, and spirituality that it hides from the public, but it is an essential component of, that reveals what the United Nations is really all about. So the question that we have to ask ourselves regarding Agenda 2030, Agenda 21, the Green New Deal, or whatever, you, or the World Health Organization, or whatever UN plan that's being implemented, we can find out if it's good or bad by doing our homework, doing some research, and finding out what, what it is that the UN really believes. And we can predict with a high degree of accuracy where the, the UN is going to lead America and the world if we just read what they believe. So, for example, while many institutions in America, like the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, are based on a biblical worldview, 
the United Nations and its plan for, a, yes, a one-world communist government, that was their plan from the beginning, is based on Luciferianism. Now, one of the primary institutions that's hidden from the public is an institution today that's called Luce's Trust. I write about it in my books, like A Prophecy of the Future of America, Volume 1, Conquering the Matrix, and the other books at paulmcguire.us. They, ch they changed the name Luce's Trust because that's like a, a friendly term, Luce's Trust. Nobody knows what they're talking about. But Luce's Trust was originally founded under the name of Lucifer Trust in the year 1922. So Lucifer Trust is the real foundation of the, the counterfeit Lucifer's Trust. And it is the, the teaching of Lucifer Trust, which is Satanism and Luciferianism, which is the driving force behind the UN. And Lucifer's Trust, just like Lucifer Trust, its former name, was created to promote, distribute, educate, material, a publishing house, and to convert world leaders into Satanism and Luciferianism, because their teaching is based on the heavy-duty, high-powered occultists like Alice Bailey and Madame Blavatsky and the Theosophical Society. And the title page of Alice Bailey's book, Initiation, Human and Solar, was first printed in 1922. Now, Bailey changed the name to Lucifer's Trust because Lucifer Trust revealed to the public the true nature of the New Age movement much too clearly. Um, at one time, Lucifer's Trust in New York, listen to this, at one time, Lucifer's Trust in New York City was located at 666 United Nations Plaza. That's not an accident, of course. And is a member of the Economic and Social Council of the United Nations. And again, they use a propaganda term. They call their, their program. They always disguise the true intent and evil nature of their globalist agendas by rebranding it or renaming it with these safe, comforting-sounding words or terms. So they call one of their Luciferian outreaches world goodwill, which I think, no, I'm not going to say that because of obvious reasons. Okay, so Alice Bailey was all about indoctrinating adults and children with this idea of a new, new age world citizenship. And, you know, the average person wants to see, like John Lennon said, you know, he was singing for one world government. So they've been programming the children to be, to perceive themselves as world citizens. And they have programmed people to believe in a world federation and a desire to join the hive mind or the world brain. Now, Lucis Trust was sponsored by, I mean, big, powerful people like uh, Robert McNamara, former Minister of Defense in the United States former president of the World Bank, member of the Rockefeller Foundation, and the other head. So he was a heavy-duty guy, and he was uh, involved in occult, hardcore occultic rituals with witches and Satanists in some kind of ritual uh, on the banks of the Potomac uh, River in, near Washington, D.C. 
Now, the other guy that was really behind uh, Lucis, formerly Lucifer Trust, was a, a, a famous inventor named Thomas Watson uh, of IBM and former ambassador in Moscow. So the computer, Thomas Watson, IBM, and the computer is front and center with the, with the takeoff of the United Nations. And Lucis Trust, also known as Lucifer Trust, is sponsors organizations like the UN, Greenpeace International, Greenpeace USA, Amnesty International, and UNICEF. All of these things come off as like positive selling points, and they, they send a message that we're, you know, caring, loving people. But are they? Read what, they're, what they, they themselves wrote in their own language. Okay? Um, okay, so let me read you something that one of the uh, heads of uh, Lucifer Trust, now Lucifer's Trust, Alice Bailey said, quote, Evidence of the growth of the human intellect along the needed receptive lines for the preparation of the new age can be seen in the planning of various nations and in efforts of the United Nations to formulate a world plan. From the very start of this unfoldment, three occult factors have governed the development of all these plans. Now, this is from Lucius Press. 1955, Volume 2, page 35, her words. And she explained that the three occult factors, she explained it this way, quote, within the United Nations is the germ and seed of a great international and mediating reflective group, a group of thinking and informed men and women in whose hands lies the destiny of humanity. Okay. Luciferians, Satanists, and occultists, Rockefeller and the UN, they may believe, they may be deluded in th into thinking that uh, it, it is in their hands alone that the destiny of humanity lies. But that's not true. The destiny of humanity lies in the, hand, in the hands of the biblical God, the Creator, capital C. It lies in the hands of Jesus Christ. King of kings and Lord of lords. So these are two. Christianity, which is truth and not a religion, is moves, moves us in a completely different direction than Luciferianism. And so uh, they also promote this appearance of a false Christ, which you and I know will be the Antichrist. Now, now Christians should have known this. This is, this is public knowledge. It wasn't hidden. You didn't have to go to some cave in the Himalayas or, or Tibet to find this. Um, they said that the aim of their group is to, quote, to cooperate in the world preparation for the reappearance of the Christ. For the reappearance of the Christ. Well, the reappearance of the Christ that they're talking about is the Antichrist. Um, so, you have Philosophers, trillionaires, gurus, enlightened masters. Uh, you have the, the key spiritual satanic leaders of the UN channeling Tibetan spirit guides and getting their directions. And so it's, you know, you compare the book of Revelation, you compare the teachings of the Bible 
with the, the, the uh, occultic Luciferian belief system promoted by the UN. And their end game, okay, their end game is to manipulate by using the occult principle of chaos, also known as crisis or manufactured crisis. And the game plan is order out of chaos. So what does it tell you? It tells you, based on their own writings, that you can, with a high probability, expect expect the following factors to happen in the very near future, the immediate future, and the interim future. So another crisis event, a super crisis event happening. That rocks America. It could be all kinds of things. It could be an EMP attack, uh, a nuclear attack. It could be it could be a whole spectrum of things. But based on what has happened in terms of chaos, crisis, transformation, and weird things happening, you can expect with a high probability another major chaos event or major crisis event. So. What do you do? You, you don't allow yourself to go into a stupefied state of consciousness where you become immobilized. You cry out to God for his power, his strength. You walk according to his word. You rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. And you allow God to give you plans. You use the mind of Christ and the, and the wisdom that God has given you. And you stand strong. But you don't stand strong based on your human flesh. You stand strong in the power of the Lord. and guided by the Lord, directed by the Lord, using the mind of Christ, you call upon God and take a stand spiritually for Jesus Christ, and God has promised his people that you have has given you the power to drive the enemy from your land. God has given us the power to drive the enemy from our land and from this world. Now, that won't happen totally. That, that operation will not be finished in its entirety until the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, when Jesus Christ will descend from heaven along with the armies of heaven, riding a white horse, and the armies of heaven and the Lord Jesus Christ will come down to the valley of Megiddo in Jerusalem, where the war of Armageddon, the the last battle between Satan and God, is being waged. At that moment, Christ will defeat the armies of Antichrist, the false prophet, The angels of God will defeat the fallen angels and the demonic angels, and God's people will triumph over all those people who accepted the mark of the beast and chose to follow the Antichrist. Then there will be a thousand-year millennial reign by the Lord Jesus Christ as he rules and reigns, and we rule and reign with him for all eternity. So, before that happens, there is this rise of the New World Order, or the Great Reset. But we're supposed to be doing our, our jobs. We're supposed to be uh, watchmen on the wall. We're supposed to be moving forward, not retreating and preaching the gospel. You're listening to the Paul McGuire Report. Visit paulmcguire.us. This is Paul McGuire. You're listening to the Paul McGuire Report. Above all, above all, we don't give in or yield to a spirit of fear. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. So, in the last days, and we're at some period within the last days, there's an escalation of the conflict between good and evil. Our job as the supernatural body of Christ on earth, which consists of all true born-again Christians, we are to stand in the power of the Holy Spirit and operate 
according to the Word of God. Now, when we do that, we're supernaturally strength, strength, strengthened, and we're supernaturally blessed and supernaturally empowered, like the pilgrims and Puritans were. The American dream was not just birthed out of the hard work of, of people. The American dream ultimately was birthed in the spiritual realm. The American dream was a projection in the physical realm. In this temporal world, the American dream was a projection. God used it as a projection. God used it as a communication device. The American dream was a communication device used by God to show mankind, which was under great darkness and still is, to show mankind what is possible. The American dream, with all its imperfections, was a a light that shined the light of the kingdom of heaven, the new Jerusalem, the new earth, the new heaven, the glory of eternity. You see, the American dream, we take it for granted, even though we're losing it. We take it for granted. But God's name was all over the American dream, because it's only out of God and God's truth that liberty comes, that truth comes. So, to the degree that we're willing to obey the Lord Jesus Christ and the Word of God, like the pilgrims and Puritans obeyed and repented and called upon God in Deuteronomy 28, to the degree that we're willing to do in our time what the pilgrims and Puritans did in their time, it is to that degree that we will regain or recapture the America that we have lost. It is possible, I believe, within the context of the sovereignty of God, and not to interfere with Bible prophecy, it is possible for us to do what Jesus commanded us to do, which is to occupy until he comes, to wait and pray to the Father until he clothes us with power from on high, and to obey God to go into all the world and preach the gospel, and make disciples or establish or communicate effectively a biblical worldview, which will set people free. I need your help in doing this through this ministry, Paul McGuire Ministries and Paradise Mountain Church. I'm asking you to stand with me in this spiritual battle through your prayers, through your donations, through your gifts, by posting your name to our websites and e-blast lists, by joining them, liking them. We're in a fight. You're in a fight. I am, I am where I am for you and your children and yourself. Okay? I, I could do other things that would be far easier than what I'm doing now. So I count on your help, and I count on your prayers, and I count on your sacrifice. And together, together, in Christ, we can change the direction to whatever degree that God allows us. But we cannot give in to apathy, as so many have done. God bless you. This is Paul McGuire. Visit PaulMcGuire.us. Paul